planting together in unity. Planting together in unity. And what does that mean? So we're going through, if you haven't been with us, and if this is your first or second time here, thank you for being a part of us. I would love to meet you after the service. Don't run away. I'm going to be right there, right at the end of the service. I would love to just um, hear your feedback on your experience here today. But we're going through the book of Romans, and last week we heard a powerful message from Evan. Come on, give it up. Evan. He talked about how we learn our God's saving promises, how they're experienced through faith and freedom. Now today we're going a little bit deeper into the book of Romans and we're going to look further into it. This is Paul's magnum opus. This is one of his longest letters. This is pretty much summarizes uh, Paul's theology. And Paul is writing to a church that he has never seen before. Paul is writing to a small remnant of Christians there. So here's the bottom line that I want us to kind of grasp today. How and where you plant will ultimately determine what you produce. How and where you plant will ultimately determine what you produce. And I want you to say this with me. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, planting in unity produces for eternity. Oh, come on, write that down, take notes. Come on, we're going to get into the Word of God today. So here's the question. What does it mean to be a united church? What does it mean to be in Christ? What does it look like when a church is united together? You see, one of the greatest problems in our churches today is the breakdown of church unity. More and more churches are closing their doors every day because of fractions and schisms and things that happen inside and there's such a disunity that happens. But in the early church in Jerusalem, they thrived. They thrived. And uh, Luke records for us in the book of Acts chapter 2, 47, he says this. He says, they were praising God. They were having favor with all the people and it was God who added to their house daily. See, that phrase, having favor with all the people, it's referring to those from the outside looking in. So what did they see from the outside looking in? They saw a selfless, united church. They saw a church that was attractive, and they wanted to become part of it. So I want to define unity for you really quickly. Unity is defined as the bringing together of separated or fragmented parts into a unified whole. See, God's ultimate design, God's ultimate goal in creation was to unite the whole of humanity. But that did not end up happening because of the first Adam. So what I want us to understand is this. Being united means letting go of the past, growing in the present, and planting together for the future. That's what that means. Being united means letting go of the past, growing together in the present and planting together towards the future. So today we're going to discuss three ways that we are united together. Is that okay? Can I get into the word? Come on. I just started. Let's go. Three, three ways that we are united together from Paul's perspective in Romans chapter 5. So if you can turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 5. If you have it on your phone, that's fine. If you're old school and you have a Bible, that's fine too. But we're going to look at Romans chapter 5, and we're going to specifically look at right now verses 1 and 2. So the first way that we are united 
is we are united in peace. We are united in peace. Let's look at what Paul says here. Now he begins a new section. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Say that with me. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Notice in those chapter, uh, those verses right there, there's a lot of we. It's in the plural, right? So that's what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that the first result of our, us being made right, that big word justification, just us being made right before God is peace. It's the assurance of hope. So let me just break down those two verses for you. Paul is saying here, peace, we have access of grace, and now we have a future hope, and now those things are made available for those who are in Christ. Paul uses that term a lot, in Christ. What does that mean, Eddie? Does that mean physically being in Christ? No. That was 2,000 years ago. Being in Christ is the center of Paul's theology, and what it denotes is a profound identification with Christ. I identify with Christ, and it is the basis of my salvation, and it is the purpose for my new life. I like what one uh, person quoted here, and um, he said this. He said, to be in Christ is the source of the Christian life. To be like Christ is the sum of his excellence, and to be with Christ is the fullness of his joy. You see, our reasonable service here in creation, what is our God-given purpose? Maybe some of you here today are saying, I don't have peace in this situation. What is my purpose? I want to tell you that God is saying it's not just to receive the peace of God. So you see, there's a difference between the peace of God and the peace with God. Can I break that down for you today? The peace of God is referring to our cares of this world. It's a universal human obsession. It's subjective. Now, there's nothing wrong with having peace in finances. There's nothing wrong. Maybe you're having uh, marriage problems and it's getting real hostile, right? Maybe there's no peace with your children. But that's not what Paul is saying here. It's okay to pray for those things. But what Paul is saying here is peace with God. That means that we have been reconciled now to God. God has forgiven us, and our enmity with God is now over. You see, we were once the object of this wrath. You could jot this down, Romans 1.18, where it says that the wrath of God was revealed from heaven against us. You see, we cannot achieve this peace. It only comes from God. We cannot fabricate this kind of peace. We cannot mirror this kind of peace, no matter how hard we try. And Lord knows we do. We try to put peace in a situation. God, do this. But sometimes it just doesn't work, right? Sometimes those puzzles just don't fit together because we're trying to do it on our own strength. I have a 14-year-old and a 7-year-old, so pray for peace with me. Because one of the hardest things is trying to pick out a movie. Literally, it's so hard. Friday nights is designated our movie nights. We, we chill and uh, we watch some Netflix. And one of the hardest things is trying to figure out what movie to watch. The 14-year-old wants to watch Avengers. The 7-year-old wants to watch Pokemon. And I'm praying that they do a remix of Pokemon and Avengers so that everybody could be happy. But it's not going to happen. I'm dreaming. But 
I take over the control, thank praise God. <laughs> so we watch what daddy wants to watch. So that's what kind of what Paul is saying here. He's saying being justified by faith, we have peace with God through Christ. We will never know the peace of God until we first have peace with God. So here's the question. Are we enjoying this peace with God and with others, or are we stirring the proverbial pot? Is it true peace, or is it false peace? Do we look for strife towards others? Do we look to cause a problem with someone, and we're trying to disrupt? You see, God made a declarative statement by giving us Christ's righteousness, right? The peace, the shalom to us. So now we don't have to go on justifying ourselves. We don't have to do that anymore. We are fully assured. We are fully covered from the Prince of Peace. Amen? The second way in which we are united. So we're united in peace. Secondly, we're united in provision. We are united in provision. Let's look at verse 12. The first 10 verses here present us with the benefits of justification. Now, Paul is comparing the old Adam to the new Adam. So let's look at verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and through death through sin, and so death spread to all men, everyone, because all sinned. Let's jump down or scroll down to verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. That was Adam. So by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass. And this is one of my favorite verses. So if I get a little Pentecostal, forgive me. But where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. So can I break that down for you? There's there's three stages that Paul is talking about there. The first stage is sin. Sin entered the world through Adam. And because of Adam, the second is death. So because Adam sinned, now death entered the world because of sin. And now because of death, it spread to the world because we all have sinned. So Paul's language here is very strong. He's basically saying that in one single pass action, the world messed up. You ever have that one friend that just won't let it go? Dude, it's been 20 years, and you're still bringing up the same issue over. Get over it. It's a new life now. This is kind of what Paul is saying. Here we see that sin and death is universal, right? See, sin opened a door, and I know sin is not sexy, but one great thing about the way that we we preach in this house is that we, we don't skip steps. We don't skip scripture. So sin opened a door and it came into this world. Sin is personified. Sin is active. It reigns in us. It governs our affairs if we allow it to. So let's define the problem of sin from Paul's perspective in this epistle. Sin for Paul means falling away from God's righteousness and becoming unrighteous. It's an act of disobedience that leads to guilt. 
It means our very nature is deprived and corrupt. Sin is missing the mark. It's an act of rebellion. It's refusing to obey. But church, there's hope. But when we are united in the provision from God and we follow after the pattern of the one new Adam that is to come, where one sin brought death, it was the gift that now brought life. For the disobedience of one man, we were all made sinners. But now, through the obedience of one man, we are all made righteous. You will never out the grace of God. You will never be able to out the grace of God. Because he is constantly providing for you as a sacrifice. That's what provision means. Provision is a measure that is taken beforehand to deal with a need. Come on now, that's easy. That's easy to preach because right there, Jesus, even before we were formed, understand that sin was going to enter into some way. And because of that death and because of that, he sent his son to die so that we can understand what this grace, this unmerited favor means. That's what it means to be united in his provision. Our provision is found when God sent his son. And that's why Paul later on says in that same chapter, the wages of sin. If you have a job, you know what what wages are, right? So the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, the V1 Impact team, we actually had a movie night out in the front. It was a great night. Um, I believe we fed over 300 kids snow cones. I mean, it was fantastic. So the one thing about it, and I'm still like, you know, like I went to go. I'm thinking I'm going to get this big, elaborate snow cone machine, right? It's going to be so big. I just press a button, and it's just spitting out snow cones left and right. I get to the place. I see this little rinky-dink machine, two feet by two feet, with an iron steel handle. And I'm like, wait a minute. Who's, who's going to turn that, that, that bad boy? Who's going to turn that? So we get there, and every... I'm there. I'm, I started off. I said, okay, I'll be, I'll be the servant, Lord. I'll be the one. So I'm there for an hour turning the handle. Then Pastor Mike comes for five minutes, and he's done. And then, every, and then everybody else gets a turn. Literally, we're there for, what, three, four hours? It even got to the point where the kids started at the end of the movie to make snow cones. Literally. You know what that tells me, church? <laughs> That tells me that a team functions best when it is united for a common purpose and goal. And because we're united as a church, he provides. He's going to provide for you. So the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. But when you begin to sow into the harvest in unity, you're going to reap bountifully. Amen? Joseph and his family was kept from the famine of Egypt. Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, yet they lacked nothing. Elijah was fed by ravens, ate cake from coals, and drank till he was satisfied. And Jesus fed the thousands, just like we're doing, feeding 5,000. That is the goal. That is the heartbeat of this church. That is the vision of the pastoral team. We see a need, and we're going to meet that need because Christ met the ultimate need for us. 
We are replicating what God's provision looks like in unity when we serve others. Provision meets the need. Division leads to greed. The third thing, lastly, I know that was good. I'll say it again. Provision <laughs> meets the need. You ever got somebody that actually said, oh, come on, preach that one more time. Come on, say that sermon. I'll give you my notes. Provision meets the need. Division leads to greed. The third thing and final thing, how are we united? We're united in peace. We're united in provision. And lastly, church, we are united in purpose. We're still in chapter 6, verse 3 to 5. Now we enter one of the best-known sections of this entire epistle. The first chapter is dealt with our justification. And now Paul is going to talk how sin and the power of sin has been broken now over our lives. So he goes into this new topic of sanctification. And this is just a big word, a big theological word that just means progressive work of God that makes us more and more free from sin and like Jesus. That's all that that word means. So we talked about justification earlier. Justification deals with our legal standing. Now sanctification deals with our inward condition. So let's look at chapter 6, verses 3 to 5. Do you not know that all of us, say all of us, who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been United, say united, there's that word, with him in death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. For those of you that are taking notes, you future scholars, this, this term united is only used one time in the entire original language. And it means here, it means to be planted together. It means to be growing together. It means to be entwined together. That was Paul's vision for this church. We identify with Christ in his death and his resurrection. That's what baptism means. We are constantly being conformed and transformed into the image of Christ. And now sin no longer reigns in us. Sin cannot dictate to you what you are supposed to do. Let's look at verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. That term being brought to nothing is to be rendered ineffective, is to put out of action. When Paul says this body of sin, what is he referring to? He's not just referring to the physical body. He's referring to the whole person, the totality of the person, the interactions with this world. Sin still reigns. It still rules, not in me, not over me, but it still does over my body. That's just the reality. That's why people pass from this earth. That's why in verse 12 he says, do not let sin reign over your mortal body. I know sin stinks, and I know it's not sexy, but yet some believers and some those that call themselves united stink and smell more than others and they try to cover it up. I know I got real quiet here. But when Christians sin, they are acting against their identity and they've forgotten who they are in Christ and what he has done for me. Unity is the church's perfume. Unity 
is the church's perfume. Turn to your neighbor and smell their cologne and perfume right now. No, 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 don't do that. That's a real weird thing to do. We want you to come back to V1 Queens. So imagine if that person that you imaginatively smell um, had some type of cologne a little bit too much than what they were supposed to do. What does that tell you? That tells you that they didn't take a shower today, so they thought that it would be okay if I could douse myself in Dolce and Cabana. Or they're trying to cover up a scent that they, you know, is lingering around. But for you ladies, I know there's a term that's called layering, right? It's a perfume term. You, you put a little dab on here and a little dab on here, and they could be different. Am I right? Am, am I just crazy? I know I read that somewhere, but anyway. Um, but there's a term called layering where you layer the scents so beautifully that you begin to emanate this fragrance that because they complement each other. But the purpose of us is to say yes. The purpose of us is to say yes to this marriage proposal. That is our purpose. We're to the old self is dead and now the new life has begun. Now we enter the final stretch. Hang with me. Paul in chapter 7 now illustrates for us the fact that we can either be married to the law, married to Christ, but we cannot be unmarried. Chapter 7, verse 1. That the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. You see now, what Paul is saying here is that the law is only active if both the husband and the wife are alive. If one dies... They are both free. They're both free. Some of us, we've been married to our old selves. Some of us, we've been married to our sins. Some of us, we've been married to our failures of the past. Some of us, we've been married to our feelings. But church, it's time to get divorced from those areas in our lives and fall in love with Jesus all over again. We need to be reunited with our first love. When we die to self, it's this death. It breaks the power of the law. And now we are pleasing where this aroma, this beautiful fragrance now to God. We have purpose. Romans chapter 7, verse 5 to 6. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit. Say that with me, bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in a new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the written code. To be in union with Christ is to bear fruit for life. Planting in unity produces for eternity. I want to tell you two categories of people that you're going to come across in your garden. Two kinds of people that you're going to always confront. You're going to have either gains or drains in your life. Gains are those who are united with you in peace. They want you to have peace of mind in a situation. Gains are those kind of people that want to provide for you, that encapsulate your vision together. Gains are those that want you to have purpose and want you to succeed in life. Those are the gains. 
But then there are drains in your life. Drains are those who are disconnected from the vision. And they cause more problems than solutions. They're their own personal silos. They're poisonous in your garden and they're performers in their own arena. Those are drains. We need to understand because church, we are one mind, one body, one spirit together working for a common goal and that's to see Jesus lifted up. You might have noticed this beautiful array of plastic vegetables. I did not grow these. I don't take any credit for it. But there's a term in gardening called companion planting. And what that means is an art and it's a science of laying out certain vegetables in a certain way that complement each other. And they're planted in the same bed. And the reason for planting like this is just just how you have likes and dislikes and you go to Instagram and you like something, there's not a dislike button, but if you pretty much scroll down, you're disliking it. So next time I don't see a like of mine, I'm going to know. <laughs> but just how we have likes and dislikes, vegetables have likes and dislikes as well. So, if for instance, a garlic and a pepper was growing in the same bed together, but they did not complement each other. They weren't united together. They were soaking up the same nutrients in the soil. It would actually stun the growth of the vegetable. Some of us were these garlics. Some of us were these peppers. Oh, we know people like them. And they're stunning our growth. They're not with us in the vision. They want to do their own thing. But if I'm a garlic and if I'm a pumpkin, the other person's a pumpkin, we complement each other. Guess what happens? When we are in the same gardening bed together, enjoying the nutrients, we're going to grow more strong, more green, more orange than what we ever was before. That's purpose. That's unity. That's provision. That's peace. My heart for this message was that we just, just grasp just a little bit of it to know that we are all planted together in the bed of the garden that is called Christ Jesus. He is our gardener that is pruning you. And I know it hurts, church. I know. But I want to tell you something. The Prince of Peace in the middle of your storm is there. You may think he's sleeping. You may think he's not there. But he's there caring for you, loving on you, waiting for you you. That's why Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but it was God who gave the increase. So it's neither those who plant or those who water, but it's only God who gives the growth. Planting in unity produces for eternity. And I want to paraphrase this last verse, Psalm 92. When you are planted in the house of the Lord, you will prosper in the courts of our God. 
you will bear fruit in old age. That's right, old age. And you will stay fresh and green. Isn't that a wonderful promise? We are united in peace. We are united in provision. And we are united in purpose. Can you please stand with me here today? And for the few moments, we want to just worship the Lord.